As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Angola uh, Kante nudges the ball to Timo Werner back towards Kante. He plays in Havertz. Oh. Havertz with a chip. It's the crossbar on the follow-up. Timo Werner and Timo Werner with the easiest of tasks to head the ball in almost on the goal line. That's the goal that Chelsea wanted. Chelsea lead Real Madrid by a goal to nil. And Timo Werner popping up when it matters most. I had to to wait a long time that the ball coming down. It took like like hours uh, until the ball was coming. Pulisic tries to draw the goalkeeper, pulls it back, and there it is! That's the goal that they wanted, and it's Mason Mount from close range! Chelsea have got the second goal, the celebrations can begin! It's Chelsea 2, Real Madrid 0! We're going to keep getting better and better. That's the, that's the team we have, that's the mentality we have in this group and we're going to keep going and there's two massive cup finals now. We put ourselves in an unbelievable position to go and win. And Chelsea are on their way to Istanbul. The Blues are back in the Champions League final for the first time in nine years and they'll face Manchester City in the third All-English final, 24 nights from tonight. It's a wonderful night for Thomas Tuchel and his players greatest winners in European football to reach the final for the third time in club history. Unbelievable night. Gutted the fans are not here to celebrate with us. Amazing team effort again. What an energy, what a positive attitude, what a work rate. Fantastic. We have played them a uh, lot of times, but you know, it's a Champions League final and you know, we obviously we, we go with everything. We believe in ourselves. We know that uh, we, we will have to, to work hard, but uh, we are ready for it. Honestly, it's a pleasure to be at the sideline for this team and, and fight with them. It was well deserved and big, big uh, congratulations to the team. <laughs> 
Yes, that's right, you didn't dream it. Chelsea are in the Champions League final. This, therefore, is a very special bonus episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Hope you're doing well. Matt Davis Adams here to reflect on Wednesday night's win against Real Madrid. I'm going to do that in the company of three of the Athletics finest. Liam Toomey is here. You come to me on my day off, Matt. That's how big this is. <laughs> no such thing as a day off in this game. Dominic Fifield's also with us. Hi, Dom. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Almost as well as Simon Johnson, who I'm sure is doing his best Lionel Richie impression by dancing on the ceiling still. I wish I had his hair. Um, yes, <laughs> party on. <laughs> Hello, everyone. So Chelsea will play in the showpiece game in European club football on May the 29th as they face Manchester City in an all-English Champions League final. We'll look back on how the Blues made mincemeat of Madrid next. Chelsea 2, Real Madrid nil at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. Then a simply stunning performance from Thomas Tuchel's team. Goals from Timo Werner and Mason Mount giving the Blues a 3-1 aggregate win. Um, Simon, you get the hardest question of the pod. Who was the man of the match? Oh, the man he would have sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was rubbish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Angola Conte, clear, well, actually not clearly, but it was just edges it. I think there were quite a few outstanding performances. I'll give shout-outs to Tony Rudiger. I think he was phenomenal. Credit to Jorginho. When he got that early yellow card, I thought, oh, you know, he's a red card waiting to happen now if, if Real Madrid actually turn up. But, but yeah, he was sublime. I still think in his own way, Mendy, that save cannot be underestimated before Chelsea went ahead. But... No, I mean, you know, Conte just, was just different class and he has been superb in in the knockout stages. Um, and anyone that wrote a piece suggesting that Chelsea should consider selling him should um, perhaps retire instantly. So Conte just about edged it, Liam. Was really this about the team rather than, than the individual? As Mason Mount had, had intimated um, in his post-match in, in reference to those Tony Cruz comments, it, it was a, a team performance and that's kind of been the, the theme under Thomas Tuchel, really. Yeah, that's been the story of the last three months or so. Um, the kind of morphing of this ragtag group of... You know, Sari Conte era signings, academy graduates, and you know the headline arrivals of last summer's recruitment, all coming together to to form this remarkable machine uh, that isn't always necessarily thrilling to watch, but is remarkably efficient in the in the very biggest games. And um, there were a couple of things that struck me watching that game at Stamford Bridge last night. One was, why is it so damn cold in May? Uh, I was absolutely freezing in the stadium. Hailstorms before kickoff. What on earth? Absolutely ridiculous. Um, we're on a dying planet. Anyway. Um... <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There's a bit of dampener. Jeez. Wow. Hey, hey makes, the, makes the Champions League even more valuable, if anything. <laughs> and the other thing that, that struck me was just that it's not surprising anymore when this team produces when it matters against the most dangerous opponents. Tuchel always seems to get the right plan. An hour before kickoff, there's always a freak out about the team he's picked. Um, 
you know, a couple of players have been left out and, and, and people get annoyed. It was it was obviously Pulisic this time. It was it was harsh on him personally. But he, he seems to get these big decisions right. And when the game is actually playing out, OK, Madrid had a few moments in the first half. They had a lot of possession. I think a lot of that possession was in the areas that Chelsea wanted them to have it in. A lot of it was quite deep in their own half, away from Mendy's goal. There were only a couple of moments when Chelsea were under threat and they they basically battered Madrid without the ball. Uh, the pressing was ferocious. The turnovers they created, obviously Kante was absolutely key to that. And what they were able to do in transition, the decision-making, the finishing wasn't always there, but they seemed to have the measure of every team they play. And that is to the immense credit of these players, but even more so, I think, to Tuchel because he has been the transformative influence on on what we've seen. Uh, let's get to some Twitter questions. Carl Johan writes, Cantinho or Cavante in the final? How does a dress rehearsal impact the final? Will there be different tactics, do you think? Um, Dom, I'm, I'm fascinated by this game against Manchester City on, on Saturday now. it's It's got narrative all over the shop, but... Neither team's going to treat this like a, a dress rehearsal for the Champions League final, are they? Because it's a vital Premier League game for, for both teams. And and I guess that means that neither side's going to be particularly resting players. So actually, we might see lineups that that reflect the Champions League final starting 11s. Well, possibly. I mean, it's, look, it's more, I'd say it's more significant for Chelsea than it is for Manchester City, who are going to win the title, um, regardless of what happens this weekend. It is intriguing because... You've got Guardiola and and Tuchel who are very much tactical managers, you know, guys who will obsess over how they're going to play in a particular game on a one-off occasion, like the Champions League final. Would they want to keep their powder dry this weekend uh, in terms of any tactical tweaks that they that they've got in, they're anticipating making in at the Atatürk Stadium at the end of the month? Uh, now. The main one with Chelsea does sort of hinge on on that midfield, and I suppose the the likely absence of Matteo Kovacic um, means that we will see Conte and Jorginho playing at the Etihad, and it does give scope still for for Tuchel to keep something up his sleeve for the game in Istanbul. I mean, if Kovacic is fit, then which he should be, or being well. But there are so many sort of ifs and buts between now and then. So many games to, to cram in. So many significant. There's an FA Cup final for God's sake with, with Chelsea. I mean, there's, there's there's big occasions still to come. A pursuit of fourth place in, for Chelsea as well. That we probably shouldn't spend the next four weeks second guessing what he's going to do, what they're both going to do at the Ataturk. Um But psychologically, I think. I mean, bearing in mind that. Okay, it was a tweaked City team and lineup at Wembley a few weeks back in the FA Cup semi-final. If Chelsea perform well this this weekend at City, then there is an argument that Tuchel has got some kind of psychological edge over Guardiola, and we know that Guardiola overthinks bigger games on occasion. He has done in the Champions League in previous years. That's often pointed out as the reason why City haven't progressed to a final before. So even that does add weight to this fixture this weekend and 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 how they do it and and, and it's an opportunity for Chelsea to yeah to, to sow a seed of doubt in in city minds because they have been the dominant force in English football season but they were beaten by Chelsea a couple of weeks ago and although it was 1-0 it was a fairly comprehensive win 
Simon, in, in terms of that, that midfield pairing then, your, your long-running agenda against Angola Kante is, is well known, but but surely it's it, it's him plus one, isn't it, in, in terms of the first choice? Because he just gives you so much in, in every department and that there's not another player like him. Yeah, I think he's fit, he plays. It's as simple as that. And and in my defence and the piece that I wrote, that was one of the things I was flagging, that since 2019 he'd, he'd had injury issues um, Dom's shaking his head at me again. Hindsight's an amazing thing. <laughs> hindsight, hindsight. I wasn't saying sell Conte, Dom. I was just pitching it as a debate. He himself could have left of, of his own. That was also one of my arguments that because Chelsea had not really been competing for the Champions League since he'd arrived, would he actually fancy move to Real Madrid? Well, certainly not. <laughs> after after last night, I think um, he, he's made the right call to stick around. And in terms of who plays with him, that's a very tough decision for Tuchel now because um, obviously uh, some of it depends on Kovacic returning to full fitness um, and he's supposed to be very close. But Jorginho is making a very strong argument to play next to Conte. Um, As I said already, the, the performance he put in against Real Madrid. But Man City, you know, they are... Let's be honest, they're a different beast. They're a different animal to Real Madrid, a total different level. So, yeah, that's one of many selection decisions I think Tuchel has. You sort of go, what's he going to do at right wing back? I don't know whether we're talking just the league game here or or the Champions League final, but you you go right wing back, he started to play as Piliqueta in the the bigger games. Um, Havertz, Werner, Mount, Pulisic, you know, four and three don't go. Etc. Etc. But I do think we, we're seeing a semblance of, of pretty much his sort of. We're talking about seven selections seem to be pretty nailed on. You know, when you sort of think Mendy, the back three he seems to be very happy with Conte, one of them. Uh, Chilwell's definitely got the left wing back sort of role. He's, he's won that. But yeah, it's it's a nucleus of a very very good side at the moment, and um, yeah, they're going to have to perform well over the next few weeks if they want to. Win FA Cup, Champions League, top four. What a position to be in. I still can't believe it, to be honest. <laughs> Simon, I think you've stumbled across something there. I think we should give you a regular column headlined, In My Defence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think a lawyer's going to take my case. <laughs> um, uh, Liam, in terms of those those players who, who are nailed on, Simon mentions the likes of Jorginho, Azpilicueta, Tony Rudiger. I heard Don Hutchinson on the radio last night saying that those core experienced players had really let Frank Lampard down and not shown up for him. And I thought, mm, that's odd because they weren't actually playing very many games. Surely that's why they've been able to to influence things so strongly under Thomas Tuchel because he's backed them and, and made them first choice players again. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think it's maybe an overly simplistic reading of the situation to, to assume that's what I'm here that- for. <laughs> oh no, not from you, not from you. Um, to 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 kind of assume that it was a one way street, you know, between Lampard and those senior players. I think it's coaching is a game of relationships and of course tactics. But I think it, it, if you're not maximising the relationships with those players and you're not putting them within the right tactical framework to maximise them, then you you're not going to get the best out of them, and you, they're not going to be the kind of leaders that they've been for Tuchel. Um, I think there are probably a lot of Chelsea fans that that are surprised um, 
Less so about Jorginho because he's, you know, he's always been a polarising player. He's always had his ardent supporters within the fan base. I think someone like Tony Rudiger, who hadn't really played at his best level since the Conte era, um, I don't think we ever really saw it under Sarri either. So um, part of that has been injury related, but I think he he's had a real revival here under Tuchel. He 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 looks back to his best physically, but more importantly, he's 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 keeping his aggression you know perfectly in check. Uh, he 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 looked magnificent in that face mask. Uh, the the latest addition to the to the Chelsea protected mask army. And as Pelaqueta, we know, you know, had, had fallen out of the team a little bit under Lampard, who was favouring a back four, in which case it becomes a much more linear choice between him and Rhys James, whereas Tuchel has, has created a scenario where both of them can play in the same team um, quite often. So I, I think Tuchel has depended on experience when it's mattered, but he's also empowered those players and put them in the best positions where their limitations aren't necessarily highlighted, but their their, their strengths are absolutely maximised and, and that's coaching. Dom, I'm going to put this question to you. It comes from Istanbul, Istanbul, we are coming, which I suspect is a made-up name. Uh, they ask, is there a genuine possibility of the final venue being moved to England? Now, on the face of it, that seems eminently sensible, but this is UEFA that we're talking about and, and therefore I would assume it's unlikely. I think that's a fair assumption. You have to bear in mind that the Ataturk Stadium was due to host the final last year um, and has been waiting patiently for 12 months, plus all the preparation they put in to, to do it last year. Uh, and we should also need to uh, we also need to remind ourselves that the last major European final that Chelsea competed in was against Arsenal. And rather than staging that at Wembley, they staged it in Baku. So it's it's... I imagine that the promises have been made to to the Turkish Federation and the money that has been spent getting the Ataturk ready, even though Turkey is in lockdown and is only due to come out of lockdown, I think, in the 17th of May. It would be difficult logistically for them to, to change it um, because of the commitments that will have been made locally over there. But absolutely, logically speaking, yeah, there's absolutely... No reason why it shouldn't be why why it's being staged in in Turkey and not in in England, um, particularly during a pandemic where we, you know, if there's another spike in Turkey, for example, does that mean that they can't get twenty five thousand people into the Ataturk Stadium and it's played behind closed doors? And would it not make more sense to play it at Wembley? Well, clearly it would, but there there are other aspects to this we need to consider, and I, I know this will probably douse the mood a bit, but. The reality is, at the time of recording at the moment, we could be having an all-English... We've got an all-English final in the Champions League. We could be having an all-English final in the Europa League. The four clubs involved are all attempting to break away from UEFA competition two weeks ago. I don't think it would look politically great if England staged two finals, two European finals, um, and it all became very Anglo-centric looking at a time when the clubs involved, you know... Had their ownerships had attempted to 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 form a super league and break away from Europe um, and and UEFA competition not long ago, so I think it's highly unlikely that that there will be a switch. There may be some moves by the clubs involved, some half-hearted um, attempts, but they're not in a position to <laughs> to lay the law down to UEFA at the moment because, let's face it, they're all in disgrace. 
Yeah, I guess maybe Villarreal might throw a spanner in the works of the, the All English final. Um, and Roma, you know, inspired <laughs> by the imminent arrival of Jose. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Pedro, it's a difficult Simon. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you, you, on the one hand, I get the point about the Atatürk Stadium, all the all the preparation that's been done for it. But probably, if you asked, I don't know, the mayor of Istanbul, he'd say, "Well, can we have it next year when we might be able to make a bit of money tourism wise from it as well?" Because that's not going to happen this time around for them is it and and it's almost a missed opportunity having it in this year when you can't have its capacity and you can't have people spending money in the local economy well or funny enough you know it's it was just out of um just in case I, I i doubt any of us will be going um to the final sadly but i went on last night just to check hotel prices and like no this this gives an indication of of how how it's different from any any sort of normal Champions League uh, final situation. For starters, you'd struggle to find a room by this stage. Secondly, the the prices you'd be quoted would be ridiculous. Well, I found a, a hotel, I won't quote the, the chain name, but I found a very sort of respectable chain uh, with a room for €99 Euros a night, which, one, it was amazing that it was free, you know that there were rooms available, but but secondly, at that price, I'm sure they're probably going up now because fans are starting to take a punt, etc. But it just it just is another indication of how you know this is a different time because I mean uh, you, you see some bonkers prices in for Champions League finals, you know thousands of pounds, and this is getting back to your point, Matt, in terms of the amount of money that can be made for a city for when they host a Champions League final. It it, it can probably sort of um, boost people's profits for the, for the year essentially you know even even a sort of very basic B&B can charge sort of stupid prices so so yeah i it won't be if fans do attend it won't be anywhere near the kind of money that that Istanbul would normally have been able to make uh, away from that and, and kind of wrapping up the the Real Madrid chat uh, Liam how much trouble do we think Eden Hazard is in this morning in Madrid Eliminado y Hazard partiéndose la caja. Hazard. Not sure what what he's saying there, uh, but it but it's not good. It, it was that image of him smiling and laughing outrageously at the um, at the end of the game. But but it comes within the context of the fact that he's not had a very good time at Real Madrid, and it was it was kind of a sad sight to see him just anonymously drifting around the pitch that he used to used to grace so regularly. You can't smile after a defeat. You cannot you cannot allow yourself to to be seen to smile. That those are the laws of the game we love. Um, yeah, this is also perfectly in keeping with Real Madrid's political dynamic where there is always a scapegoat for every failure and it is never the president <laughs> who, 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 has, who has made it, you know, every conceivable mistake in running that club. Um, Hazard wasn't fully fit and wasn't sharp against Chelsea there was no reason why he should have been he's he's played a bare minimum of minutes in preparation for this game um it seemed to me to be an act of desperation from Zidane merely to start him um because you're playing one of the most physically intense tactically cohesive pressing teams in Europe right now and you're you're playing a guy who 
hasn't hasn't had his rhythm in about two years. It, it's sad to see Hazard this way, and it, and it's sad. I you know I I always in it was a privilege to cover him when he was at Chelsea. It was a pleasure to deal with him personally when he was at Chelsea. He's a really nice guy, um, and for that reason, I wanted it to work out for him at Madrid because it was obvious how long he'd wanted to go there and how much he wanted it to to happen. And I think the the fact that it hasn't worked out is is not through any lack of effort on his part. I think, you know, Simon wrote a very good piece um, with Dermot on, on where it's all gone wrong for him. I think he's, well, he's actually written a couple of pieces on Hazard that have been very in, enlightening in terms of his time at Madrid. Um, and it's just been a, a sad chapter. And, and to be honest, I, I did all, always fear that this might be the case because Hazard never seemed the kind of personality that was cut out for a club like Madrid, where it's football's biggest goldfish bowl. And it is so political. If you're coming in as the heir, as the successor to Ronaldo, just felt like he was he was always being set up to fail. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it, Simon? If you're going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got to have that all-consuming passion for your job. And always got the impression from Hazard that he loves football, but it is a job. Yeah, it, it, he's a guy that that is is so laid back that. He basically feels like he can just turn up on a match day and turn it on, which is fine at Chelsea, but was never going to be good enough for Real Madrid, where his every move would be examined, as we as as has been shown by this Ferrari caused by, let's be honest, he's sharing a joke with one of his best friends in, in, in Kurt Zuma, um, who, hasn't, who he hasn't seen for a few years. They're not mentioning sort of like the, the, the rest of the team who, let's be honest, I'm struggling to figure out who did turn up. Luka Modric, I think, had some nice moments. Benzema was a threat for sort of half an hour. Courtois, against his former club, made made some good saves. But Real Madrid are in a mess, let's be honest. And and this talk this morning about, oh, he's up for sale, Hazard. Who's going to buy Eden Hazard? Who can afford Eden Hazard right now? And plus, he's actually one of the younger players, it seems, in that team. You know they've got far more pressing issues than Eden Hazard, in my opinion. If he gets, if he gets, you know, it sounds like a big if because he's had so many injury issues. But give him a full pre-season and hopefully injury problems dissipate. I think there's still hope for him to to make an impact at Real Madrid. But yeah, I just found I just found it all a bit, all as as Liam pointed out, a, a great deflection from the real issue, and. And this is what frustrates me again. It made me think last night about the European Super League. And I know it's like the English club sort of chasing chasing money, but it would have really been a massive own goal because Real Madrid need the Super League more than more than most because they are in deep, deep trouble financially. And as we've seen with the team, it needs a massive rebuild and they haven't got the money to do it. So why were the English clubs who are, in, who are let's be honest, in a very powerful position playing in this Premier League and as we're talking about four potential English sides in the, in the two European finals why are they sort of actually what they were thinking of doing was going to help bail Real Madrid out and and a competitor to make them stronger getting it, it it's bonkers but anyway I really hope I'm still hoping that Hazard comes good at Real Madrid but I do fear for him when the fans are back probably next season that it's going to take quite a few top performances to turn them around. I thought Chelsea played the Hazard thing really cleverly last night. I don't know if it was a deliberate thing, but the very fact that 
four minutes in, Andreas Christensen, who's not the most aggressive player on the planet, absolutely goes through him onto the ankle and sends him flying as a little reminder that actually, you know, we love you, Eden, but tonight we don't. And then when Jorginho gets the booking 40 minutes in again, it's for, for bringing down Hazard. And uh, I, I just thought that those were little reminders to Hazard, little, a few shots across the bows, just, just to, just to remind him he was in a contest and, and that he wasn't fully fit. And it was painful viewing. It was painful to see him struggle so badly. I mean, there was a, there was a, a flurry in the second half where he had, it was one very nice dummy that, that he allowed the ball to go through to Benzema, but Benzema was was so confused by this little moment of instinctive brilliance from Hazard that he was offside when the ball went through and he was flagged. And then a shot at the near post, which Mondi, Mendy pushed behind. But other than that, we saw nothing that was recognisably Eden Hazard. And, and yeah, I share the, the guy's sentiments. I think it's a great shame, but hopefully his time will come again. Just, just quickly, just very interestingly, because that was flashed up this morning, that um, surprisingly Hazard ran further than anyone in the Real Madrid team. Which I know he doesn't sort of say everything, you know, obviously it's something you've got to do with those runs, but it shows he wasn't sort of uh, having a cigar out and enjoying his no. return at the bridge. He, he was trying at least, but um, as I said, it, it seems it's a lot easier to point the finger at him than, let's be honest, some other names in that team that, that didn't turn up. Was that picked up in the Spanish show or not? Dom, of course it wasn't picked up. He smiled. He smiled, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> Two big breaking pieces of news from producer Lucy who was at Stamford Bridge last night. Firstly, her dad's booked a hotel in Istanbul. Uh, and secondly, she noticed that Hazard refused to speak to the press when the Madrid press officer tried to make him and, and that he looked distraught, which is really sad. But hey, he's one of the greatest players in, in Chelsea's history and we were lucky to get to, to watch him up close for so long. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Well, it wasn't just the men's team who were in action on Wednesday night. There was also a crucial game for Emma Hayes' side. England with the pass here for Wrighton. And Kerr's there again. It's Spencer with the save, but no mistake. On the second occasion from Sam Kerr. It's another one from her. 
And Chelsea doubled their lead at the high. The women moved a step closer to retaining the WSL title after Sam Kerr's brace saw them pass Tottenham. She's up to 20 league goals for the season now. A 2-0 win at the Hive means going into the last day of the season on Sunday when the Blues take on Reading. They know victory would definitely mean they're champions again, whilst a draw might be enough depending on what Man City do against West Ham. Those games kick off at 2.30 UK time on Sunday. It's been a busy week. Before we go, I wanted to put this question from Joe to the panel. Uh, Joe says, is the announcement of supporter representation at board meetings the change in transparency that was demanded or figureheads with no influence to quiet the uprising? What do you think, Liam? It's a it's a positive gesture, um, if nothing else. And I think, you know, supporter representation is what the Chelsea Supporters Trust called for explicitly in the wake of the Super League collapse. Um, and it's good to see at least that Chelsea are engaging with that and um, willing to to have a conversation and actually do something reasonably tangible about it. I mean, it. Uh, I read I read through the statement. It does seem like Chelsea have given a lot of thought to how it would work already. It also seems like Chelsea have given a lot of thought as to what the limits would be uh, on that supporter representation, and that's not really surprising either because it. At the end of the day, this is a private company run by one man and a group of his advisors, and and it will remain that way. But I guess it does at least show that Abramovich is is cognizant enough of fan opinion and and cares enough to at least um, to at least try to involve them in the conversation, even if they won't have a fundamental say. And it's a lot. It's further than a lot of the other clubs involved in the Super League project have gone. And that's key, isn't it, Simon? It, it might look tokenistic, it might even be tokenistic, but you'll find plenty of Tottenham and Arsenal supporters who'd love for something similar to be happening at their clubs. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's still, as, as Liam's saying, there's still we've still got to figure out exactly how this will work. And, and, and part of me is going, well, how is this going, going to be any different, for example, from the fans' forum, which, which Chelsea have been holding for a num- number of years, where... Fans group have been getting to talk to the likes of Bruce Buck, etc. But um, but yeah, it, it is it is better than nothing, put it that way. And it, it does show that Chelsea is showing some signs of contrition or some sign of acknowledgement that that they got they got it wrong, um, and and they clearly did get it wrong, and they totally underestimated, um, not for the first time in their recent history, fan sentiment over a decision that they're going to make. Important to, to acknowledge the mistake, though, Dom, isn't it? I mean, you, you, we have criticised them, and rightly so, for wanting to, to join the Super League. But it's better to be shown to be taking some steps to, to kind of right the wrong rather than just putting out weird-looking videos from hotel rooms or half-assed statements that, that leads to supporters being so angry that they get the biggest game in English football historically called off. Yes, but let's let's not kid ourselves that that's the same context that Chelsea is is at Manchester United. I mean, the, their antipathy towards the Glazers is dates back from the takeover in in two thousand and five. I mean, it's that they've this the Super League venture merely reopened old wounds for them. Um, so it was never going to be like that. There are no Chelsea supporters out there campaigning for Roman Abramovich to quit the club. That's never been the case. Um, but look, I agree with the guys. I think I think I think it's better better to have this than not have this. It's definitely a, a step along a, a road towards a, a better 
situation and a better arrangement, but um, let's see how it works in practice. Let's see whether it sates um, the supporters and let's let, let's let's have it prove that it's not a a cynical move to um yeah to be seen to be doing something when actually not much is happening now, i hope it works i really hope it does and i think the sentiment behind it is probably probably right um and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of those board meetings and what we hear and the transparency involved yeah, we'll keep a close eye across it. The Athletic is the best place to do that. Athletic.com slash ChelseaPod is the place to go to sign up if you haven't already. Remember, you get all our podcasts ad-free if you listen via the app or the website too. If you could drop us a review if you're enjoying the show, that would be tremendously helpful too. Uh, that's just about it for this special bonus episode of Straight Out of Cobham. There, we'll be back in our usual Monday slot next week when we'll be looking ahead to another big game against Arsenal and the small matter of the FA Cup final. Until then, many thanks to Dom, to Simon, to Liam, and to producer Lucy, but mainly to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again soon. For now, though, it's goodbye. The Athletic.